Good morning, Creekside Church. Let's jump right in. How many of you guys have heard this song before? Okay, don't lie. We're in a church. Let's restart. How many of you have heard this song before? There we go. There we, you can say yes, it's okay. You don't just have to raise your hand. Uh, what is a classic line from this song? If you want a hint, it's also the song title. What is it? Go ahead, say it. Times they are a changing, which is kind of true, but it's also not true. In fact, as I was preparing the sermon this week, and you can pray for me later, I listened to some Bob Dylan. Um, now feel free to make your email out to Mark Buving. Okay, anyway, um, as I was listening to these songs, I recognized that, wow, he's singing about politics and racism, and we've obviously solved those because the, the songs came out a while ago, right? <laughs> oh, no? Oh, that's right. Times, they are a change, in, but not really. And although it's a really good song, some things do change and other things don't really change. I mean, obviously, with time, things change. I found a gray hair. I think I'm going to be fine, though. It'll be okay. I look forward to going gray, if I'm being honest. But there is really nothing new under the sun. We think things are new, but in reality, they're not. There is already an idea that's come out. There's already other things that have happened. And I believe this is very apparent in the world of fashion. And the reason I say that is because trends come to be, and then all of a sudden they disappear for a little bit, and then for some reason they come back. Nobody knows why, nobody can predict it, but it happens, it's true. In fact, I have some examples, and first off, I just wanna say from the bottom of my heart that the examples you will see, I am not condemning you if you have done any of these or wear any of these. They are just an example of things that have gone out of style that are now back in style. With that said, here's the first one. <laughs> the mullet. Yes, that is back in style. Uh, as you can tell, this photo is from a while ago, and this one looks like he goes to a church in Portland. So <laughs> it's just the way things happen. They go out of style, and then they come back in style. Don't know why mullets made their way around again. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing. Bell bottoms. Right? Some of you guys are like, yes! I look at this photo and I go, how is she not tripping? <laughs> Those pants touch the ground before her shoes do. She is going to trip sometime soon. All right? But like I said, I'm not condemning anyone for this. They used to be in style, and they're back in style. The next one I really don't get, chunky shoes. <laughs> All I know is that our kids and our grandparents have the same shoe style now. And the next generation of kids are going to have super buff legs because they have to lug those around all day. <laughs> Makes no sense. But the last one, honestly, I'm a huge fan of. I don't know why they would ever go out of style. They are the most comfortable shoe to ever walk this earth. Birkenstocks. Am I right? The Jesus slippers. <laughs> yes. 
They're not that old. But for some reason, these went out of style. They are so comfortable, though. Never should have gone out of style. But as funny as this is, the truth and reality of life kind of fit with these themes. See, the seasons and stages of life are hard to predict, and the march of time and the seasons of fashion are forever changing. And if I told you, or if you told me that molds were going to be back in style, I would have laughed in your face. But they are. These things are unpredictable. And as humans, we, of course, when seasons like this happen and we recognize the fact that everything is unpredictable, we're like, but I can control blank. And we always seek after control. We're always trying to grasp it. We want to control everything around us, but the crazy thing about the seasons of life, fashion, or even weather, is that you can't control any of it. And time continues to move forward, whether you like it or not. And the passage we're going to look at today in Ecclesiastes is a message about control and time. We can't control the different seasons. We can't control time, and we can't control this longing within us to understand it all. So with that said, the title of the message today is Trusting God with the Timing of Our Circumstances. Before we enter into the word of God, let's take a second to pray. Lord, as we enter into your word, I pray that your truth would speak through these pages. Lord, I pray that our hearts, minds, and bodies would be prepared for what you have for us today. Not what I've prepared, Lord, but what you have for your people today. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them with me to Ecclesiastes 3. We're going to be looking at the first 15 verses, but we're going to focus only on the first verse right now. Ecclesiastes 3, 1. And it says this, For there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. The first thing to recognize about this verse is that one, it is at the beginning of a chapter. Two, it is a change in the theme. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, we're walking through the preacher, the character of Ecclesiastes, walking through what is the value of life? What is the meaning of life under the heavens? We've talked about death, striving, work, pleasure, and legacy. And now we turn our gaze to time. And some of you might be like, well, we actually did talk about time. You are completely correct. There is a time for everything. This is an in-depth look at it. It's the preacher going, this is what I want to focus on right here and now. That everything has its time. Nothing lasts forever. And there are cycles and seasons to life. Like I said about fashion and fads, that's one example. But we are surrounded by examples of this in nature. We all were born at some point and we all will die at some point. Farmers will plant seeds and then they will harvest those seeds. Seasons change. We just had a heat wave and now we're getting ready for rain. 
Things change continuously. Life is complex. Time is hard to understand and grasp. And so the preacher recognizing that there is a time for everything goes, I think the best way to explain this is in a poem. And so the next seven verses he gives us is a poem about time. Let's take a look. Verses two through eight. They say, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. This poem covers a wide range of different things, different perspectives, emotions, and situations. And we see in these seven verses, 14 opposing and contrasting things. Some are favorable, some are definitely not favorable, and then others of them, you wonder why it made the list. But the one thing we recognize about this list over and over again is it's about the human experience. Yes, it's in the Bible, but that does not mean that this is a moral code. It is not a moral code. It is just saying something that we as humans experience. Some, of course, are positive, right? Some of the first words, I mean, even this verse two, to be born, a time to plant, super positive, right? But then verse three throws a curveball in there and it starts with the negative, a time to kill. And I think the reason for this structuring is that this verse in and of itself shows us that life is this way. We wish life would throw at us a curveball that's good, right? We're like, okay, that, that we have this good solid foundation for the negative to come. But the reality is sometimes a negative thing is put in our lap and we don't know what to do with that season. This is about the randomness of time. And as we learned from the very first verse, verse two, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, the very first thing we learn is we are not in control of time. Like I said earlier, we don't control when we're born. We don't control when we die. Just like plants, you can try to water a plant you can try to give it the best fertilizer, but if I'm in charge of it, it's gonna die in a week. But some of you can make a plant live for a while, but eventually it will die. We don't decide that. It just happens. And like I said, verse three starts with the time to kill. And like I said, this is not a moral judgment. This is just about the human experience with time. And we're not gonna spend too much time on these verses, but I do think there is value in looking at them. And so verse three is about the ending of life and the preservation of life. And it's true because some of our families 
even this week have experienced this. I know my family was on alert about a fire coming towards their house, packing up, maybe having to leave. There are times that things come in and are just so destructive. And we ourselves deconstruct things as well. Some of you have experienced war and the hardship of that. Some of you have experienced divorce. Some of you, all of us, actually have experienced some form of transition where we had to deconstruct one reality and rebuild another one. That is what this verse is about. That we all experience these seasons of deconstruction and seasons of rebuilding. And this leads to a lot of emotions. And I'm happy that this poem conveys in verse 4 two sets of different types of emotions. The first one, weep and laugh, it's about your private emotions. But mourn and dance, that is the public exploration of emotions. Emotions are not bad. There are times that we cannot control our emotions. And that is okay. It is okay to cry. It is okay to laugh. It is okay to be joyful. It's okay to be sad. Emotions are expressing what's going on deep inside of us. Whether positive or negative, we can't control our emotions, but we can control what we do with them. We can store them up or we can let them go. And that's what I believe verse 5 is kind of about, about gathering stones or casting them away or embracing and refraining. And I don't think it just has to do with emotions. I think it has to do with love. I think it has to do with any type of material possession. I think it has to do with friendship. And that there are seasons where we want to gather things up, but then there are other seasons where we need to let things go. And we need to stop seeking, as verse 6 talks about, seek loss, keep, and cast away. Any parent in here that has had a kid go off to college recognizes the fact that they can't hold on to their kid forever. They have to be willing to cast their kid away. Not in the sense of completely ignoring them, but casting them away. People who have had job transitions have had to experience this too where they're holding so tightly to this job, but then all of a sudden they leave. And maybe everything they worked on, everything, is gone within the first week of them leaving. There is a time to hold and there is a time to cast away. And there is a time to tear and a time to sow and a time to keep silent and a time to speak. How many of you guys like that last one? Amen? Yeah? A time to keep silent and a time to speak. I like that that is before the verse on a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Because if some people learned how to control their mouths, we would probably have less war. Or we might have more war. That is a possibility. And some of us have been just thrown in and swept up by war, love, and peace. And there's nothing we can do to control it. Because everything has its season. And nothing is the way it should be. When I prepared the sermon, I had a different note that I was going to say here. Uh, But first service, it hit me really hard. The second song that we sang, Promises, was a song that helped Heidi and I get through an exceedingly tough time in our lives. 
Uh, we were mourning tremendous loss. It was hard to even be motivated to do anything, just crying. I, was, I didn't know what to do to, to balance ministry and balance caring for my wife and balance mourning myself. And we were just in a season of just sadness. And that song was our anthem. We listened to it probably every day. We listened to it on repeat of just like, God, these are your promises. Help us hold to them. Please, God, you are faithful. Help us, help us, help us. And the crazy part is a month or two later, we found out we were pregnant with Sam. And our season of mourning quickly changed to the season of just, oh my gosh, God, thank you. We all have gone through seasons of loss and seasons of joy. And there is so much that happens that we need to take a second to just sit in the reality of where we are and recognize it's just a season. God has you in the season you are in. He is with you in it. And I wish that that is just where the preacher left it. But the preacher, I believe, is a very intelligent philosopher. And he hears this poem and he sees that there's, okay, so like there's different seasons for everything. And no matter how much you strive or work or gain knowledge, pleasure, joy, or peace, you're not going to be able to control time. And so the preacher who is always looking for a negative route in looks at this poem and comes to this question. He says, what gain has a worker from his toil? In other words, if you can't control time, what is the point of all of it? What is the point of these different seasons of life? Why do we have to experience these things? And the preacher, being the philosopher he is, goes, hold on, I don't want anybody to answer this. I have three answers to my question already. Three. So let's look at his first response. In verses 10 through 11, we see his first response. He says this, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so, he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So the preacher's initial response to that poem, to hearing it, and to asking his question, is everything has a divine time. But we as humans can't control or understand any of it. And there's a little bit of beauty in the fact that we can't. There's a little bit of beauty in the fact that no matter how hard we strive to understand time or the seasons of life, Ultimately, we have to give up that pursuit. There is beauty in every season of life. The preacher says it right here. He has made everything beautiful in its time, speaking to God. Which means there is beauty even in the most difficult situations. There is beauty to be found in war and chaos. There is beauty in every circumstance. And when we are able to sit back and maybe even step outside of our own season of life and look at it from a different perspective and find the beauty in it, 
we get a glimpse of eternity. We get a glimpse of the eternal. Because God has put into our hearts eternity. And although we may not be able to find out what God is up to or why things are happening, it's okay. There is indeed a season and time for everything, but only God knows why. And we may all want to understand it because we have eternity in our hearts. It's just such a beautiful line. And I believe it's speaking about the fact that we, at the deep core of our hearts, want things to be better. And we as Christians understand that we have a need for our Savior. We have a need for God to take that hole in our heart so we can understand eternity. But this isn't just something Christians feel. It's why there's sciences, that's why there's philosophy, that's why there's so many theories out there, is because we all want the world to be better because there's something in our hearts that long for something better than ourselves. But it's so frustrating because no matter how hard we try, if we're not seeking the true reality, we're just chasing after something that's real and that will last, but we will never truly understand it. Because God is the only real truth. God is infinite. God is the only real thing. And it's hard for our finite minds to understand the infinite God. And the preacher recognizes this here. That's why he says, timing. It's not really up to us. It's the business of God. You know, we're not going to be able to understand it. It's divine timing, not human timing. The preacher recognizes this and he adds a second part to his response. In verses 12 through 13, he shares, I perceived that there is nothing better for them, us as humans, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is man's earth. This is God's gift to man. So the preacher builds on his first response by saying that there is nothing better for us as humans to do than to learn to be joyful, than to learn to do good, learn to sit and eat and drink, learn to take pleasure in your work. The point of these verses is to give up control, give up trying to control what is unknowable, and instead learn to be present in your present reality. Literally, stop and just learn to sit, eat, drink, and enjoy your work. It is all a gift from God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, writes this. He says, For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Isn't that beautiful how it relates the last verse to this verse? For the present, verse right here talking about being present, is at the point which time touches eternity, how God has put eternity in our hearts. The preacher wants us to understand that there is so much of life that is uncontrollable. So much. But we can control how we respond. We can control whether we're going to pursue joy. We can only control what is right in front of us at this present time. 
That's it. And it reminds me of a scene from the greatest trilogy ever done, The Lord of the Rings. We can fight after church. (laughs) Where Frodo is telling Gandalf that he wishes the ring had never come to him. And that this journey had never taken place. And this is the exchange they have. Frodo responds, or Frodo says this. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us. Gandalf sums up what the preacher is saying right here. Despite our circumstances, all we can do is control how we respond. And the preacher, being an overachiever and philosopher, could have stopped here, right? He should have stopped here. (laughs) But he's an overachiever and a philosopher, and he goes, you know what, that's not good enough. There's another response to this. So his final response to the question he asked is found in verses 14 through 15. And they say this, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Whatever God chooses to do will endure forever. God will at times, as this verse shares, frighten us. Read your Bible. There is some frightening stuff in there. (laughs) But I believe we are truly frightened of God because we try to control him and we can't. We try to truly, truly grasp and come to understand God, but we can't all the way understand him. But this God that has the power to prompt fear in us, is also running after our hearts. God seeks what is driven away. That is the only thing that never changes. God will always seek to love and run after his children. That is where the preacher is led. Through the poem, through him trying to answer his own question, he gets to a point where he acknowledges we can't control time, All we can do is decide how to spend our days and that only God is constant. And some commentaries uh, at this point in them say, man, the preacher's just defeated at this point. He's so depressed. I don't get there from reading this. I read this and I go, goodness gracious, his responses. His responses are about God being in control, about how God has put eternity in our hearts. His responses are about being present and finding peace even in our circumstances. And his final one is about how we should just stop. Just stop and let what God does endure. Those are not responses of angst or anger or depression. Those are responses of peace and rest. Because he recognizes that God is in control of time and he recognizes that this is the God that seeks after what has been driven away. 
we are what has been driven away. The preacher is led to a point where he recognizes that everything is a gift from God. Everything. But God himself is that greatest gift that we can ever have. That is the only constant in life and time. That there is this God that has put eternity in our hearts and he will never stop chasing after our hearts. And to be honest, at this point, I do feel bad for the preacher, not because of how he's responding here. I just feel bad because he doesn't get to experience the guy that comes in this half of the Bible. See, he comes to this conclusion and he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Which means he's saying that God seeks after that that is driven away, but he doesn't even truly understand how much God seeks after us. Because we are a people that run away from God, that define good and evil for ourselves. And yet this God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same. He has always ran after our hearts. And he shows the greatest act of love by saying, I'm going to love humanity so much, I'm going to give a piece of myself. I'm going to send my son to come and die for the sins of the world. The preacher doesn't know this, but this is what we know. Is that we don't have to define time. We just need to sit in the presence of Jesus. We need to accept the fact that he died for our sins. That from that cleansing, we have freedom, we have life, we have forgiveness. And from that freedom and forgiveness, we have access to the God of the universe. A God that will never leave us, never forsake us, that sits with us in our pain and suffering, but is also joyous when we are joyous. A God that at the end of time wants to take us to a place where there are no more tears. There is no more suffering. There is no more mourning. As Revelation 21, 3 through 4 says, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. God will wipe away death. God will wipe away mourning. God will wipe away crying. There will be no more pain because there is a God that never stops chasing after what is lost. That's what I want to leave you with today. That no matter what season of life you are in, no matter where you find yourself in that poem, no matter what you're seeking after, no matter what your relationship is like with Jesus, there is a God that loves you so much and will never stop chasing after you. There is a God that sent his son to die for you. You have a God that is constant, that is unchanging, and that will never stop chasing after you. You do not need to understand time. And so this week, I would encourage you to take a second to step outside of your circumstances. Take a second to walk away from it and get space and look at it. If you're in a season of hardship, cry out to God and say, I am mourning, God, I need you. I need your help. 
I need you to hold me in this time. If you're in a season of just joy and everything is like, nah, everything's awesome, invite God into that season. Thank him for what he has done in your life. Step outside of your circumstances. Sit with the God of the universe because he has you and he loves you. And he is chasing after your heart. And so as we close uh, the sermon and as we have the worship team come up, I just want to leave you with a question. Will you trust God with the timing of your circumstances? So as we head into this time, I'm going to pray for us, but I want you to really think of this question. Will you trust God with the timing of your circumstances? God, thank you for this place. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. I may not know what season of life that all of us are in, but Lord, I know that you are with us in every season. Lord, I know despite what we have done, are going to do, or are doing, you died on your cross for us. You died on the cross for our sin so that we can experience freedom and forgiveness, so we can experience you here and now in the present reality. Lord, I pray for that longing in our heart that is seeking eternity. Lord, I pray for everyone in here that doesn't know you, that is longing for eternity but doesn't know what that is. Spirit, I pray you would meet them where they're at. Lord, I pray they would not leave this place without talking to someone about you. Lord, I pray that we all would be people that would trust you with the timing of our circumstances. Amen.